team size is smaller, everyone wanting to be a bit scrappier, you know, let's, you know, try and build something that can kind of work, but, you know, maybe it should be built a better way. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Revenue Growth Architects podcast. It's Chrissy here from CS2, and I'm joined with Charlie and Sanders, always. Uh, today, we're going to have a fun episode. I know we've been getting super technical in the past few, but we're going to dive into reviewing our 2023 predictions because we're over halfway through the year, which is crazy. We're filming this right now in September. <laughs> Hello, future selves. It could be still September, I think, but maybe <laughs> October. So it's nearing the end. And, you know, we want to see have our predictions come true, you know, and just give some commentary. So, for those of you who didn't listen to that episode, no worries, because we're going to repeat them. So you're up to speed and then, you know, see what we think about them. So, so first one I have from the episode and maybe Charlie, you can make some commentary because it was your prediction, but you said that tech debt will be even more rampant, requiring a lot of work on ops to dig out of that hole in 2024. So how big is that hole for 2024? <laughs> well you tell me i mean i feel like the tech debt escalated in oh, general yeah. from what i've been seeing i think the budget cuts team cuts had a lot to do with that yes mm -hmm. forget my my reasoning behind it I, i'm related to to something like that where team size is smaller everyone wanting to be a bit scrappier you know, let's, you know, try and build something that can kind of work, but, you know, maybe it should be built a better way. And that is the notion of tech, <laughs> tech debt. It's like taking the shortcut and having issues in the future. So um, I have been seeing that um, uh, the implications of that quite kind of serious and long-term. I mean, the issues with tech debt is that it takes a lot of time to pay down that debt. To the point where, and I think we've talked about this before on podcast, where you can often get into the situation where kind of just the interest on your debt is would take so much time to pay off that you don't even have the team to pay off just the interest, right? Let alone try and do other stuff and like build for the future. So I do think that there are companies in that in that situation right now. Um and I think the onus is that they they need to try and to pay pay down the debt as quickly as possible because otherwise you're going to be having a lot of growing pains going forward. Totally, I think the the thing you're talking about with the employee turnover, I think there's always been like a lack of documentation, and I think with that, it's those people are re like reinventing things, creating duplication of fields as well, and doing all this stuff that maybe wouldn't do there. I think for not rehiring at all is you have people doing jobs that they shouldn't. I can give an example of right. recently, we just dove into a client and they had people doing things in outreach that definitely shouldn't have been and just going rogue and doing things themselves because they didn't have the operational support. And it just is now kind of a big, you know, web to untangle. So it's, you know, when you don't have enough resources or when you then try and then rehire for resources, you're still going to have all these problems that contribute to the tech debt. So, and it's so sad. I'll keep this short because I think a lot of the issue comes down to people not understanding ops when it comes to leadership. Yeah. Right? They don't understand how complicated it is. They think, and, and, and I guess maybe one thing to say is that I did ops did seem to be somewhat less affected by the layoffs. 
in my very unscientific um, study of just seeing stuff on LinkedIn and knowing people, but it did seem to be somewhat less affected in terms of like who got laid off. But even then it was like, there's like the actual reducing the ties, but then there's, there's also removing future headcount. I saw that a lot mm -hmm. where like my clients were saying, oh, I was going to hire three people to help me do all this work in the next you know, year, but then they've all been canceled. So now I've got to try and find other people on the team to help me with this or just you know, handle it myself. That's where that comes mm -hmm. from. Totally. All right. I'm going to cover another one and would like to hear what you think, Sander, but our other one was from Joy, and she said there'll be an even tighter focus around marketing or revenue analytics with budget cuts for a lot of companies, really showing what's working and not and getting tighter on tracking goals will become more apparent. Yeah, I definitely have felt this with various clients and just, you know, some of the topics that we've talked about on the podcast. I think that the the last episode, actually, we were we were talking about we have actually had to change a little bit of our thought process behind, you know, don't prove your performance, but improve your performance with metrics. And, and I think that we've acknowledged and we've empathized with the leaders that we're partnering with that, you know, marketing is having to prove a lot today. It's not unlimited marketing budgets like we might have been seeing a couple of years ago. And so every program, every campaign. They need to be able to show what is actually driving pipeline generation and revenue. And it's been really difficult because not all of the not all of the organizations that are asking these questions took the time up front to have the right tracking in place. So we're kind of like piecing information across multiple objects or almost like not making it, but like drawing a lot of assumptions and trying to tell a complete story because you just don't have something that's automatically running. And nothing's worse than getting to that QBR prep and saying, I don't have the ability to say X is working versus Y. So they're being asked the questions and that's turned into great projects to be able to work on. And I think that a lot of people in the market are taking things like funnel metrics more seriously, multi-touch more seriously, and really trying to figure out like, how do I make sure that this isn't going to happen to me again in 2024? Totally agree with that. Okay. Another one that we talked about was that there would be some focus, of, well, even stronger focus on ABM, PLG, and then an emphasis on partner marketing. I think we talked about you know, relying on a bit more on ABM, partner marketing, relationship building, you know, customer marketing, those areas for driving pipeline rather than just traditional kind of top of funnel paid marketing. What do you think, Charlie? I'm curious what you, I think this is proven to be true and not true. So I think it's true for ABM. Yeah. But I think the trend for ABM has been going on for a long time yeah. and i think you know it's kind of just a you know a rebranded you know more targeted um yeah it's a it's a, it's a no-brainer like you're gonna have to do some kind of like targeting figure out your ICD, figure out the, who, who who you should be targeting layer in you know different level your your marketing tactics and programs to the different le levels of target accounts and their propensity to buy so i think that definitely continues um, but that started a long time ago, but probably got a little bit accelerated. I've actually been seeing some like anti-PLG stuff more recently. Mm. And I think some of the arguments that I've been seeing, I agree with, which are 
One of them is that if you were pre uh, predominantly sales-led mm -hmm. in the past, adding on a PLG motion is really hard. Yeah. And we've always known it's really hard, but I think some of the sentiment right now is that it's like almost impossible, maybe even impossible. I don't know if that's true, but I definitely know it's hard because most companies underestimate it massively where you think, oh, I've got this sales-led motion. I'll just tack on a free trial and do a whole PLG thing, but I don't need to like hire anyone else. Like my team, my current team can figure it out and I don't need any you know, new tools or new processes or new business process, like a new strategy. I see it just kind of like works the same. And then it's really, it just turns into like, you have a, a new type of MQL, which is a free trial. And, you know, you, the actual free trial experience isn't the product leading them through the stages. It's just a sales assisted PLG. So it has all the problems with like an overinflated MQL model, because you're just sending low quality free trials to people and they're converting and at a very low rate and because the free trial experience isn't very so i think the, the 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 philosophy i think that people wanted with plg was that oh i can just get loads of customers really cheap because sales never has to interact but i think when you're going from that sales led to plg it's just very difficult to like pull off well mm -hmm. and i think companies are now in that mode where they're like oh damn like i've been trying to do this and actually none of these are really converting into customers mm -hmm. and so i at the the customer acquisition cost for these, it might even be worse than a sales-led motion yeah. because like there's such a low like revenue potential because maybe they're just going into like a very free tier or a cheap tier anyway. And then the fact that well, I've having to spend a lot of money to actually get even those that convert into, you know, revenue. So, you know, I, I don't know where I stand on this like perfectly yet. I think time will tell. I think maybe my, my only opinion that I quite strongly believe in is that it is a whole new go-to-market strategy that probably needs like dedicated people on the team just helping you operationalize mm -hmm. that and the operationalization of it is. Um, but on that, I think it's, in, it's just an interesting dynamic that I see playing out right yeah. now. What do you think, Xander? Anything also on the partner marketing or customer marketing side, like across their clients or what do you think? Yeah, I've I've definitely seen more of a focus on partner marketing, especially mm -hmm. in certain areas, right? There are certain industries that just really work well with partners, and that's what they've been able to leverage and, and find a lot of success. So what's mm -hmm. been interesting there is just trying to balance, like, how do you measure marketing success alongside partner success and that partnership between the two? Because often it's rarely going to be one or the other, and, and oftentimes now people are partnering. So making sure that you have the right metrics in place to be able to show that success is really key. I, I would also say that with like PLG, it's not directly related, but I feel like security teams have gotten a lot more strict and a lot more locked down and a lot more organizations. And so PLG is great when you can just have somebody flip a switch and, and install something, but now things are locked down. If it's not an Okta, it's not possible. You can't integrate with my other cloud solutions, it's X, Y, and Z. So I think that the PLG motion, it's just more difficult to get a lot of you know organizations onboarded if they don't have the capability to just run with it. And they need totally. red lines and security briefs and all of that. Totally. That's a good yeah, point. I kind of agree with both of you on the PLG side. The only place where I see it working right now is when people just come out the gate with a PLG strategy, like your whole, it's yeah. all centered around PLG. Slack, Asana. And a lot of like, like the AI kind of tools. But I think then you have to realize like they're really like swimming in like an SMB pool, especially to start. 
And so, you know, that works out. But then to your point, Xander, like, okay, what happens when you go up market and, or if you want to, or if you want your ASP to be a lot higher, then you're going to encounter like, okay, now we're going to have to go sales side. But I think that's a much easier switch, especially operationally to do where when you're already strapped on budget, people, time, things like that, trying to then do PLG if you're predominantly sales led, like just doesn't doesn't make sense. Really well. Totally. Yeah. It's easier to go from a PLG first and add on like a more enterprise sales team to like sell big deals versus like a sales big sales led motion, high tick uh high cost, and then try and get like a good PLG experience in your product. Because you probably started with a proper sales process because you're selling a more complicated product. It's harder to like create paths for people to like adopt that product well. And then like, I think he's added your point was actually a really good one. I hadn't thought about that where, you know, back when like Slack and all these like really good PLG companies started, like, yeah, security probably was easier. People just started using Slack and their company and started communicating. But like, I feel like if that happened today, security teams probably locked down uh, um, the one thing actually we didn't talk about on this one, Chrissy, was the customer marketing. I think that's really come true. I see a lot of our clients focusing on upsell, cross-sell, which is obviously a smart move. We've even made sure that yeah, when it even comes to thing, our, our approach to custom object tracking can support you know a customer upsell motion and have a whole funnel around it as opposed to what people traditionally have done is only really tracking it from opportunity onward. Um, so I think that's super important. And I've definitely seen that play out for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe we do one quick one and then I want to hear, Charlie, your prediction. But before we do that, Xander, I think one of the ones that we talked about was from Matt and he said there would be a new focus on back to basics, especially true as teams were shrinking, but just going back, trying to simplify things more, do things the right way when it comes to operations do we think that's happening or has it happened what do you think i don't know if it's happening unilaterally but i am seeing it in areas i mean especially for the teams that were impacted and had budget cuts like they just didn't have as many people to run the really large programs i'm still seeing customer conferences i'm still seeing events i'm still seeing you know big campaigns that people want to run so i wouldn't necessarily say that it is only back to the basics. I think people are still trying to find ways to stand out from the crowd, but I definitely have experienced the, we've always been running this complicated thing. Is it actually providing us value? No, it's not providing us value. Let's drop it. And I think that's probably more of the conversation is like the cost benefit analysis of something that we have been running. Does it make sense to continue doing it? Or do we need to just kind of back up and get the right message across in the market and, you know, do what we would traditionally recommend for a back to basics approach. I think it's played out a bit in the tech stack. I think what our predictions was that there would be some tech in. So I think when it comes to complexity, a lot of the complexity over the last, especially over the last few years was just companies are just adopting tech, just left, right and center, yeah. just buying anything they can not really consulting the ops team until it's time to like save the integration that some random person was trying to do themselves. Um, and that introduced a lot of complexity. And so now because just there's this like less tech being bought, maybe some tech being taken out, that definitely reduces the complexity because as we all know, 
in operations, even if the tech vendors don't want you to know this, <laughs> there is no tool yet today, AI may change this, but there's no tool yet today that's actually reduced the workload for ops people. Every single tool has always increased the workload for ops people because you have to manage the integration, you have to manage enablement, you have to manage monitoring, troubleshooting. Like that, I mean, am I wrong? Has there been any, can you think of any tool where it's just like, oh, this is lessened my I mean, I could make the case that like marketing automation has because before you were having to do a lot of like manual things in order to actually like send leads over to sales. But we're not thinking in that manner because all of our work has been post marketing automation platform. But I think in the modern... Because you weren't having to like write letters by hand in the past and like lick stamps and stuff. Is that well, what you're saying? So, you know, <laughs> it's a good and point. Also, a lot of CRMs were disconnected from marketing on an email platform. And then if you're trying to do anything like figure out what lead to send over to sales, you're usually deciphering that by looking through those leads and sending them to sales. And so, yes, I'm not saying that like any piece of tech ever, but I think in more modern terms and the modern tech stack, especially for additional like tools, it's not reducing the work because you still need someone to manage it. Yeah. Maybe a different way of the throughput and the volume has been able to be increased, but then what, like in terms of like leads and like emails being able to go out, you know, leads being able to go through and being routed to more reps. Like we, you can handle more volume now with automation, but like the actual workload to make sure all of this is working is still the same or more, right? Because you're having to still troubleshoot, do manage integrations and stuff. But like in the past, you ha if you're having to manually route, maybe you could do like 20 a day. Now you can route thousands of leads a day, but like you still have to do probably the same amount of hours of work that it took to route those 20 a day, but you're able to now route thousands. So like the ratio of like output to input has improved, but there's still a lot of it that needs to go into all of yeah. this. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it's just more, the more sophisticated you can get with your markings because of those tools, it just means there's just more work right. to do. So yeah, maybe the one right. thing that I would call out is like been especially beneficial this year has been something like Salesforce flows where mm. like we've gotten so much value out of like being able to simplify something that would have maybe required a developer. Now it's been able to be done by somebody that can do declarative. I don't know how many people that are listening on the podcast right now are actual like Salesforce admins. But if you're working with Salesforce admins, they have a lot more tools at their disposal, which probably is freeing up some resources. But I, I understand what you're saying. It's new tech, new overhead. We have to acknowledge that. But hopefully we're getting more efficient with that overhead over time. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a good point. But then again, I think it comes down to output and input because with flow, yeah, now that it's not like we had in the past, okay, we've got this one use case. Maybe we can't, we have to do something manually. Now we've got better capabilities with flow. We're going to automate that. And now I don't have, there's like, you know, I now can work like three hours less a day. It's just like, well, now just go build 10 flows now instead of just we're never going to be solve 10 use cases. You know what I mean? Like, there's like such an unlimited amount of like possibility here, which is the great thing about ops, right? I used to always say before the craziness in tech, there was a lot of job security in what we do because like there's just a never-ending amount of work like that's why we've had clients for like eight years because and we still have still find work for them work to do for them because they're just like 
more there's always something to do but yeah i think it's a good point i think it's there has been tools that have helped so i'm not saying there hasn't been tools that helped but it, there's mm -hmm. the workload still escalates and maybe since there's been less tech it kind of has felt like there's a bit less to manage maybe for some clients which is a good thing yeah i think so and I think to Matt's point, back to basics, I think some folks have been forced to go back to basics because they skip them. And a lot yep. of that is probably like their, <laughs> their, their funnel metrics and, they're feeling and things the pain. like that. And they're feeling the pain. So, yeah. all right, to, to clinch this, I'm just going to kick it over to you, Charlie. What's your prediction or new prediction for the rest of the year? Like, how are we going to end 2023? Well, first off, I'm feeling some pressure because I feel like all of our previous predictions were pretty spot on. So now if I don't continue this, it's going to look bad. There's a high bar to get over here. So I think, I mean, what we're seeing as a company was that since mid-ish last year to about mid-ish this year, depending on the company, there's been a lot of, you know, focus just on how to reduce costs. You know, companies, they're going through the layoffs and stuff. They're going through like we talked about tech consolidations, like what, like really the focus was just like how, I mean, well, obviously as people listen to this, like we only really work with, you know, fast growing B2B tech companies in their kind of earlier growth stages. So they, you know, obviously different industries have been affected differently, but into what we're seeing in that client base is like over that, you know, 12 to 18 month period, a lot of the focus was just on on costs, like how can we reduce them? We need to extend our runway. We might not get funding for longer for for you know it might take us longer to get funding than we originally had planned. So a lot of you know just the a lot of the decision making was either stalled around like anything that would cost more money, or the decision making was you know how do we just reduce costs? So like everyone that everyone's like just tied up in all of that. It just felt very like walking through mud, like hard to get things done. So when it came to our world of operations, marketing and revenue operations, a lot of even like quite simple and not even like, you know, that big in scope projects that typically would just get approved, you know, it wouldn't even have to even have a conversation to get it approved. Like the MOPS team would just be like, we're going to do this. Now those projects are having to like get approval all the way up to you know cfo to get like anything done because it was going to like take people's time you know obviously they're working with us so it costs money so like everything just felt like you had to just get buy-in for absolutely everything which i think isn't a bad thing if anything i think it got i mean i know for us for cs2 we've just got really good at like how to explain the value of different projects and we should probably do more podcasts on that but how to explain the value to people who don't live and breathe this every day and hopefully some of that kind of rubbed off on our clients and they got better from it too. But when that, what we're seeing now, I think, is more of a focus on, okay, we've cut all of our costs. We've got a runway for four or five years now. How do we grow? Like, how do we still achieve our goals? How, what projects are important? There's like less resistance. So I think, you know, my, the optimist in me is hoping that that can continue. And what we will continue to see is just like more focus on what are the smart moves that we can make, you know, less resistance, more actual buy-in from execs on getting important projects across the line, hopefully tackling the tech debt, you know, with some of this work and really trying to like build really well-architected foundational infrastructure to help companies grow, which has been 
you know, even the stuff that we believe is like fundamental for any company, what they need, even that stuff just was like getting slowed down or, or not approved. So now I think there's, there's a more of a focus on actually building that, getting it approved, getting across the line, getting the right people in, maybe some more hiring happening that we're seeing, you know, uh, more client budgets being unlocked from kind of our experience with clients. So I hope that continues. I think it's the right move for most companies. And that's my prediction for the rest of this year. But, you know, the last few years have been wildly unpredictable. So we'll see. Yeah, for sure. All right. Let's close this thing. So thank you all for listening today for the Revenue Growth Architects podcast. We want to tackle your questions or, you know, if you have any comments on anything we've said in past podcasts, you want us to dig further, send us a note at rga at cstmarketing.com. And if you want to say some nice things about us, I mean, you can't email us, but it's way better to do a review. So make sure you do that if you're enjoying the podcast and let us know if you like it. Let your friends know, share it and uh, keep listening. And we'll see you next time.